everybody, and welcome to Parks Podcast. My name is Austin Parkinson. I'm joined by my good friend, the assistant from Jacksonville University, Dan Beret. And Dan, uh, it's over. Uh, five weeks of unbelievable footage. What was uh, what was your thoughts when the final final scene took place and, and the end of the documentary was uh, complete? Uh, c- certainly some sadness. Um you know, just one of those things where, you know, not only you knew it was coming, so it was it was kind of the the perfect storm. It felt like uh, the ending of a TV series, but also reliving the moments, uh, you know, of the end of the, that Bulls dynasty when I was in high school. So it, it just kind of. You know, it was something we looked forward to and and uh, we, we knew it was coming to a close. But at the same time, still still tough to watch as, as they didn't get that chance to, to go back out there, especially as is, you know, they kind of covered it a little bit and went into it uh, where, you know, Michael, Michael Jordan kind of seemed uh, like he would have would have given it a shot. And who knows what it would have looked like. It was extremely difficult. Uh, to win number number uh, six, but but still tough to uh, to go out that way, knowing that you know maybe there was more in the tank. Yeah, I was somewhere between. And this sounds you know silly, but you know a little bit emotional slash fired up. You know that last sequence of uh, you know quickly running through the whole. Uh, series. Um, I walked upstairs. I told my wife, I said, you know, we lived, you know, during the, the greatest NBA player and, uh, you know, bringing back all those memories from childhood and, uh, you know, now getting to kind of see a behind the scenes look of something that, you know, now being coaches and, and where we are in our careers, we have a little better perspective and maybe a different perspective than we did, you know, when we were uh, teenagers or, or into college and that kind of thing. Um, you know, looking back on Jordan, let's get into the documentary this week. Again, it starts off with my Pacers, um, who I love that they gave them the credit saying that they were the most difficult team, uh, to go against. He said in the East, I actually think it was probably their most difficult, um, you know, maybe outside of the, the you know, Phoenix sun series. Um, but the, the interesting part of, I love that they showed the MJ, uh, raking of the face with uh, Reggie, because as Pacer fans, we know those two, you know, didn't like each other. But then you also see that respect factor, you know, even during the series, like, hey, we're not buddies, but we respect one another uh, in between games as they kind of shook hands as they were leaving the arena. Yeah, that, that was a little bit and they did it in the Utah series as well. You know, I think now they they operate with two separate post game areas. I'm not positive on that, but, but, but either way, you know, there one's coming out of the press room. The other one's going in happened with, with Carl Malone and John Stockton as well. And it, it, that was, that was kind of odd. Uh, but, but like you, like you said, Indianapolis electric, one of, one of two series during their entire run of six championships that went seven games, the other being the Knicks. Yeah. He, he said toughest in the East. Maybe that's just kind of his way of, uh, you know, honoring the, the teams that they, that they beat in the championships uh, each of those six years. But, you know, they, they, they were down going into the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, they kind of briefly went through the Pacers roster and, and we did in, in prior weeks as well. They, they had a lot of pieces and they, they were kind of tailor made uh, to, to go up against uh, that Bulls team and, and nearly took them down. Well, the Pacers have been part of some tough series with the Knicks, you know, back then all as well. Um, Reggie was a clutch player. So, you know, for them, uh, it, it was, they were kind of prepared for that moment. And obviously every team uh, was able to defend, the, defend their home court. I didn't like how they portrayed my uh, Pacer fans, uh, a, little, a little harsh on the, uh, the Pacer fans, but uh, overall I've seen the, the meme. Everybody's trying to figure out who that lady was. that was uh, screaming at the, uh, the Bulls players. Yeah, that, that was, you know, she had a lot of airtime tonight uh, right there behind the bench. And we, we talked about it a little bit. Um, you know, I've never been to, to Market Square, but it, it looked awesome. The scene outside of, of the arena, uh, downtown Indianapolis, you can't beat it. 
uh, one of the best basketball cities uh, in the country for sure. And, you know, the, the Pacers have kind of had some moments since then. Uh, you know, you think of the times when they nearly took down uh, LeBron and Dwayne Wade's Miami Heat teams, uh, you know, one of which being the year that I was in Indianapolis uh, with Butler. And it, it's just it's awesome when they're good, uh, you know, for, for the city and, and hopefully they can, you know, kind of find their mojo again. Well, we did have that finals appearance with the Lakers uh, where Kobe, you know, stepped up in the fourth quarter um, when Shaq was out, you know, fouled out of the game. Um, you know, the other thing that I, I think stood out to me with the Pacers um, is the fact that, that they seemed so emotionally, you know, emotionally drained. Um, they seemed, you know, really exhausted from that series. And uh, as they, you know, headed into the final series and we'll talk, come back and talk about that. But then it skips, it skips back to 97, um, you know, where, where Carl Malone's the MVP of the league. What was your take on that? Malone's the MVP. And again, obviously an easy slight for Jordan uh, to come out and focus on. Yeah, just another slight, um, you know, that, that that's that's probably the overwhelming theme of the entire series is the slights and the different ways that that uh, MJ, you know, tried to motivate himself through all those seasons and, you know, finding different ways to uh, to stay fired up. But the, the Carl, Carl Malone thing, you know, some of it's probably – you know, when when you've had a winner the year before or, or a couple years in a row or whatever the case may have been or a guy that's won it X amount of times, you know, they're going to, you know, it's human nature to give it to another person. Um, and, you know, I don't remember the numbers of, of that season, but uh, there, there was also the incident that wasn't talked about with Carl Malone, uh, where Scottie Pippen comes up to him and says, mailman doesn't deliver on Sunday when he's at the free throw line and he, and he misses the free throw. Uh, so, so I, I thought it was, I thought it was cool. And then, but, but again, it's just two of the greats, two dream teamers, uh, go, going back and forth. And, and you see Carl Malone later in the episode coming on the bus to congratulate, congratulate the Bulls. So, uh, all the respect to Malone and Stockton. And, you know, unfortunately they just, they just came up at the wrong time. I thought it was a little bit of a miss with the documentary to not, you know, talk about the uh, mailman doesn't deliver on Sundays. What, yeah. a, what a great line. And, right. um, you know, maybe they just couldn't fit it in, but I do think Malone and Stockton don't get the respect they deserve, um, you know, by today's generation. Again, everybody, you know, you think about it, you know, Patrick Ewing, Charles Barkley, Reggie Miller, you know, Gary Payton and Sean Kemp, then those guys, they all ran into Jordan at the same time. And, you know, you don't want to know what it would have been like for them to get a couple titles here and there. Uh, say a Hakeem Elijah one gets a couple, you know, Shaq gets, you know what I mean? So I, I don't think they get there, especially with what they did with the pick and roll, um, you know, kind of the, the forefront of, you know, there's a ton of ball screen offense now and uh, the way that they use the pick and roll, the way that they read the pick and roll. Um, you know, I just thought that, that again, 610 Malone, his ability to shoot the jump shot, you know, to score inside, you know, he would have been a tough matchup, you know, in today's game. And uh, it'd have been, you know, it's, it's neat for some of this generation to be able to see those players. Uh, how about this? And I want to get your thoughts on this. You've been in a lot of locker rooms, you've been in a lot of teams, and, and there's always, there's always an irrational confidence guy, uh, a guy that just pops off about things. And as a teammate or a coach, you just look you know, and you shake your head and think, I, I just wish that guy would, you know, keep his mouth shut. The Byron Russell story about the year Jordan was out was really intriguing to me because again, that's something that kind of set the table for later on uh, when MJ, you know, goes at him during the series and then talks in full breakdown of, you know, using his momentum with his, uh, you know, weight over his toes and to be able to hit the game winner. Uh, I love the full circle of that, but also like we've, we've all been around that guy and, you know, it seems like, you know, Stockton in a very polite way uh, was, was making that comment. Yeah, it, it, you know, a few things on that. No, number one, uh, kind of cool, I guess, that, 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 you know, that shows how close those guys were. You know, Stockton and Malone both on the dream team and, and Michael's retired and he's coming over uh, to practice during his retirement years when he's playing baseball. So that, that was, I guess, kind of a cool little tidbit that I didn't realize ever happened. Uh, that, you know, and then, and then, 
people forget about the 1997 shot, you know, and, and, uh, at the United center. And, uh, I think it was game, game, game one or game two when, when, when he hit the shot and crossed him over similar fashion, uh, you know, not, not, not the exact, uh, scenarios. This is more towards the left wing. Um, and then, <laughs> but going back, Carl, you got to talk to this dude. Uh, <laughs> that was just, and from that point on, he's on my list. You know, th- those were two of the the greater lines of of the the entire docu series. Um, you know, and just just another guy that was added to the slights and uh, paid the ultimate price there with with two two different game winners, both both in '97 and '98. <laughs> The uh, MJ flu game, which is now going to be the MJ food poison game, um, you know, which I, I don't I don't think it changes the story, you know, one bit. Uh, what I thought the footage did a good job of capturing was how exhausted he really was. And, you know, you think about um, him not being able to eat, you know, most of the day didn't warm, you know, barely warmed up. But those shots of him on the sideline just drenched in sweat and yeah. end up him uh, to be able to pull out you know, wherever he did out of the reserve to be able to pull that game out and that kind of performance. But what I also thought heightens that performance. They showed a close up of Phil Jackson with the earplugs and we forget like what a hostile atmosphere uh, that was. And, and um, there was a time I was coaching um, and it was a, a kid's game at Marquette. It was like 7,000 kids. And uh, I had a migraine. And, uh, you know, coaching in that yelling constantly, you know, just, just, just trying to even focus that way, let alone play, uh, you know, for those guys in that atmosphere, you know, Utah was known for being, you know, one of the loudest, if not the loudest in the league. And then to have to deal with what he dealt with. I mean, you know, what, what'd you take away from, from his, you know, incredible performance? Yeah. One that's been, uh, under the microscope for years, you know, those of us that are close to it, you know, we've heard the different stories on, you know, why he was sick or the, the, the food poisoning. And, uh, I really like that image of, of, uh, him hitting that last three and then kind of leading on Scotty Pippen, you know, kind of the other way around comes full circle, uh, just an awesome shot of, of them kind of going back to the bench. Uh, but, but going back to your, your deal with Utah and the the environment there off the charts, I remember watching the games when I was in high school and the NBC used to show the decibel level of the arena Mm -hmm. and, it was college like as was market square arena, but, but that, that was still kind of prior to all the suites, you know, th- I think there were two levels to that stadium. Um, but it was, it was a pretty big lower bowl and it just had more of a college feel to it with the crowd right on top of you, uh, and really making you feel it. And, and, and I like Michael's line not, not in the flu game, but uh, just in terms of going to Utah, let's give these guys something to boo about. Uh, I, I thought that was that was really good and just kind of shows to the, the crowd that 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 the Utah Jazz have. The next scene is the lead up to Steve Kerr hitting the shot. And there were obviously two parts that I thought were very intriguing. Uh, the first was the story. And I had heard the story about his father, but um, getting a little more background and detail on that, I thought was really emotional and, um, you know, unique that him and Jordan had both lost, um, you know, parents. Um, and, and even though they never talked about it, uh, you know, I'm sure that's something that they both were well aware of. And uh, I, I just thought that that, uh, it was a powerful moment uh, in the documentary different than some of the other ones that we'd seen. Yeah. And, and Kerr has, he's been a reoccurring uh, guest of the, of the program. You know, one of the players that's been interviewed probably more than anybody, maybe other than Pippen. And, and some of that's probably due to, you know, the, the career that he's gone on to have in the game and, and, and coaching, um, and and I I knew that he had lost his dad, but I I, I did not remember why. And uh, you know, just crazy to think about such a young age. Uh, and then and then fast forward into when he was with the Bulls, he he had kind of 
you know, they talked about the fight. He, he, he had shown, Hey, I'm, I'm kind of ready to play with this team and play with this icon, which, which not everybody was able to do. And, uh, I heard him on a podcast this week talking how he tried to compare his game and, and try to live up to the, the Jeff Hornacek and try to imitate Jeff Hornacek. And then you hear him tonight talking, Hey, I just want to be like John Paxson and John Paxson taking him under his wing. And, uh, just just a motivated player. And, and the other thing is, Coach, is he was always in at the end of games. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's that's the thing that, that that I probably don't remember as much from, from when I was growing up because, you know, Kerr's the, the, the small white guy coming off the bench and, you know, you, you view him as a role player and a shooter and not much more than that. But he was in at the end of games all the time. And and I'm assuming that, that he was taking the place of probably Ron Harper at that point, uh, just to be able to stretch the floor, more reliable three point shooter. Uh, but, but this guy was, was more than a role player. When you're finishing games at, at that magnitude, and at that level, uh, you know, he, he was, he was a key, key contributor to this, this ball club. It was interesting to me. And I think it's a great lesson in sports, especially at our level with colleges where you have upperclassmen and underclassmen, um, him wanting to come in and him, him seeing the role of um, John Paxson. And, uh, you mentioned, you know, I, one thing that was a little different is John Paxson was a you know, fairly sturdy guy and uh, Steve Kerr, I don't know if his uniform was just, you know, two times too big for him, but uh, right. you know, had not hit the weights and, uh, right. but, but you know, him that one year kind of having the chance to be with Paxson and seeing how Paxson's role and the trust factor with Jordan and then Paxson recognizing that and wanting to mentor a guy like that. And so then you see, and it leads toward, um, you know, that game six where uh, Kerr makes the shot and uh, you yeah, should see him on the comes bench. Off, I'll be ready. Yeah, yeah. I'll be ready. And he, you know, just uh, almost like a, a nervous, you know, schoolboy. He's so excited about it. Uh, but again, kind of full circle and he'd struggled early in that series. Um, but Jordan, you know, obviously trusting him and, um, you know, getting him, uh, you know, hitting the shot. And I just thought it was neat to see you saw, and we mentioned this, you know, the Lakers, uh, you know, Paxson, you know, gets hot in that fourth quarter Paxson. It's a big shot. Um, in the, uh, you know, Suns game, Kerr hits a big shot to, you know, to win. And then you see, and I, I, they kind of flash back and forth, but you get to that game seven with the Pacers and Kerr hits some rainbows. I mean, some clutch, yes. and, you know, it talks about game seven with the Pacers and it goes back to that about that jump ball with a chance to maybe go up five and they walk away from the possession tied because of Kerr's, you know, Kerr's clutch ability. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he kind of gets a, it, it they, they didn't, I think they showed the whole clip, but it, it looked like kind of one of those dagger, almost loose ball transition, offensive rebound type threes. Um, j- just a huge shot. And, um, you know, j- just, you know, this is a 45% three point shooter. And he was kind of on the forefront as well as some other guys of, of the modern day NBA. Um, you know, it, it used to be, you needed one or two shooters out there. And, and now it's, you know, you, you can probably only play with one non-shooter. So it's just, it's just, you know, it used to be just, Hey, we got to make sure we have some shooting out there versus now everybody needs to be able to shoot it. You know, there's been a lot of different stars uh, during these episodes besides MJ. And then there's also been, you know, some guys that have taken some shots to me, one of the stars rightfully so, and and clearly went on in his career with the Lakers, but Phil Jackson, um, every time he speaks is intriguing to me. Um, The way he speaks, what he has to say, what he has to offer. I thought it was interesting in that 98 finals as they're suiting up in the locker room, his message wasn't X's and O's. I mean, they could have shown us that, but he chose to talk about them supporting each other. And we already talked about the atmosphere, but that connection, you know, being together and how much they were going to need each other. And, uh, you know, as you see the emotion, you know, and we'll talk through the series, but as you see the emotion at the end of it, you know, how, important that is and how he recognized how important the connection uh, of team and sports are when adversity hits and when you get to those moments where uh, it's almost fork in the road. And he kind of sets the table with that right off the bat. 
Yeah, no doubt. And he had kind of been through that with with the group before, um, you know, similar scenario to the Phoenix series where they could have closed it out in, in game five in Chicago and both times versus Phoenix and then again versus Utah. Uh, during that 98 season that they were unable to do so. And, you know, who, who better to have in your locker room than, than him and, and a guy like MJ who, who had been through it. Uh, but just, just a guy that could really take it all in stride um, and, and, and figure out what was best for his group. You know, we had the other Dennis Rodman issue t- tonight that, that I had forgot about, you know, he just completely goes rogue, goes a wall literally, and, and is nowhere to be found d- doing, doing a wrestling deal. And Phil handled it about as good as you can. And, uh, didn't let it affect the team or, or what they were doing. And that's just, that's who Phil Jackson was. And, and that's, you know, what he, what he would go on to do. And like you said, in, in Los Angeles as well. I absolutely had no idea or completely you know, missed it. That, that uh, as far as the memories go of Rodman leaving between yeah. game three and four to yeah, go to you know, wrestling, you know, yeah. which clearly there would have been a contract that had to been signed. So it had to be some kind of breach of contract. I mean, I would right. think, and yeah. uh, you know, Hulk Hogan sitting around. I mean, what an, uh, what an unbelievable scene. I mean, uh, that I think would be in the top 10 of the documentary uh, of things that took place. And again, yeah. But, but also you mentioned Phil Jackson and how he handled it. You know, there's no way we'd be able to handle something like that at the college level. There's, there's it's just, you know, different ways. I mean, again, you know, we're helping prepare, you know, these young men and women for, for the next, you know, life after basketball and when they graduate, you know, Phil Jackson's not worried about that with Dennis Rodman. He's worried about, you know, winning a championship only. And you look in that game four and Rodman's everywhere and he's yeah. snagging those rebounds. He makes the clutch free throws. And uh, yeah, what a, what a wild, wild moment um, that I'd forgot about. One thing I thought that was very bizarre. I mentioned um, I'd love to have seen the Scottie Pippen stuff uh, from, from the, uh, the jazz with the, the mailman, how bizarre a moment that MJ's three kids pop up just for what, maybe 30 seconds to say yeah. that, you know, the Utah jazz is a really hostile place in episode 10. And we don't hear, I mean, almost anything other than a couple shots of MJ, you know, dribbling with his, with his kids. Yeah. And just based off of, you know, my, my knowledge, and I think you've done a little bit of this too, where I've, I've heard Jason Hare, the director uh, on some different podcasts and, and, and TV shows kind of in between, you know, the weeks of the series. And my, my, my point in saying that is I am sure that they sat down with the kids, uh, you know, the, the two boys were together and, and, and his daughter was, was separate, but I, I'm sure they sat down and, and discussed way more than that with them, you know, and that was what was chosen to air in episode 10. You know, it was kind of like they had, you know, was it a deal where they had been left out and, and, and now we're going to, we got to find a way to tie them in. So we're going to talk about the crowd and the fact that we, we couldn't, you know, we weren't going to travel that game because, you know, we'd all be, be on our own, you know, so far away from home. I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, but, but, but no way was that all that they were interviewed about or talked about. I'm sure they could have brought, been brought in at an earlier episode. Yeah. I just think it would have been intriguing to see. I was thinking of the NFL draft, uh, you know, last month and, you know, seeing the parents uh, or the you know coaches with their kids and, you know, just some perspective, you know, what it was like to be, you know, MJ's kid during those moments. And uh, I think it would have been an intriguing, you know, part of part of the documentary. One of the very few things that I would have, you know, liked to maybe have heard more of. It goes to game six uh, in Utah where they um, Scotty's got the back issues. And uh, I was curious as a fan you know, did you, did you think he was really hurting as a fan? Not now, as a fan, did you think he was really hurting based on his history with the migraine game and some of that other things? Or did you really think like, Hey, this guy, um, you know, was, was, he was battling it out. Probably somewhere in between, you know, I think always as a fan, you're just, 
you know, blind optimism. Oh, he's going to be fine. No problem. Like, yeah, he's hurt, but he can play through it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, that quarterback that you wake up on Sunday morning and they're, they're probable and, or they're, they're questionable and they end it, you know, there's no doubt in your mind that they're playing. Uh, but watching him move tonight, you know, kind of now that I've, I've, you know, gr- grown more. And then now on the, on the other side of it, as, as a coach, you know, he, he, he certainly looked pretty banged up and was, you know, serviceable probably at best, uh, but was able to do enough, you know, hit a couple turnaround jumpers in the lane and, you know, he's got such good size to where he can kind of handle the ball either at the top or in the post and, and create for others just by drawing the eyes of other defenders and, and see, you know, seeing over the defense. Seeing the footage tonight gave me a lot more respect, you know, when you're young and I can't remember what age we would have been at that point, but um, to see it tonight, see how um, much pain he was in the number of times he went back to the locker room. You know, I think it uh, rivals Jordan's flu game, maybe not with the, performance he put on, but just simply being out there. I mean, you look at a couple of those clips where, uh, you know, he's taking physical contact. Uh, the jazz knew he was hurt. So they tried to run through him and then he pops up, sets another screen, you know, he gets some steals. Uh, yeah. you know, it, it made me respect him a lot more. And then it leads into the last sequence, 86, 83 jazz have the lead. And you know, what's interesting on some of these, uh, you know, we forget about is there's been different times in uh, some of the NBA finals that things could have quickly, you know, gone the other direction. You know, the Suns were leading late um, in, in game six. They're up well. four. Yeah. yeah. Game six. So two game sixes that easily could have gone to game seven. And again, you know, Jordan takes over and, and you know, one of the more memorable sequences of uh, his career. Yeah. And how easy was that layup? You know, they're calling it out two for one. And, you know, I don't know how how uh, prevalent two for ones were back then. Obviously they're, they're much, they're much more now. And, and, you know, I think uh, you, you guys probably deal with them a little bit more having, having four quarters. Mm-hmm. And, and I think ultimately we'll be in that, that position as well. Uh, but, but man, he scores in about five seconds, you know, padding and just drive, right, get right to the bucket and score. And then, and then, you know, just old school basketball, simple cross screen, he kind of holds at the charge circle and, and instantly, you know, makes the strip and then it kind of all unfolds for, for the last shot uh, over, over the, the Byron Russell. I think about coaches um, in those positions and, you know, their pulse and, and how time out or not time out or not, but you're reminding me of the uh, Patriots, Seattle Seahawks, where Belichick looks across the sideline and sees a frantic, uh, you know, Pete Carroll and their sideline. And he decided to not call timeout in that instance and, and just ride with his, you know, his defense and they get the interception and they seal the Super Bowl. And you see when they get the steal, I mean, Phil didn't even think about calling timeout. Um, yeah. And again, the the part about it of we don't want him to have an opportunity to set something up or or come run off a double team and trust our guys. And and obviously, yeah. you know, you've got Michael Jordan, the, the, one of the greatest, if not the greatest closer of all time. Um, you know, I just don't think it's as simple to say. I think you got to give a lot of credit to Jackson as well. No doubt. And, and uh, you know, you being a head coach, what is your take? I don't know how often you've been in a scenario where, you know, you get the ball or you get a stop or, or somebody scores to tie the game and and it's under 30 on the clock and, and there's no, you know, and say there's no shot clock. What has been kind of your go to or does it change year to year based on your personnel? I think the more veteran squad you have, uh, the more you can, you know, leave it in their hands and go make a play. You got to have somebody that can get to the rim or create. If you don't yeah. have one of those or you don't have a veteran team, you, you probably want to call timeout. And uh, yeah. I think as, as we've gone on over the years, um, you know, we've done a better job of, of practicing those situations to just let them play. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I, I, on the flip side of it, there was a game where we expected the team to call timeout after a free throw. And uh, it was a crazy scenario. We were up four and, you know, you're just thinking the game's over. Don't foul, don't do anything. And we thought they timeout advanced just to get, you know, 
take some time or save some time. Instead, right. they ran it up the floor and uh, I had a kid foul, uh, a six, six foot kid fouled a five, five, four, five, three kid. Uh, mm. They made the three and hit it at the buzzer. And, um, you know, I think it was more my fault because, you know, I didn't call timeout or we weren't, you know, we weren't prepared for that. Just go. And I think sometimes that happens. Right. What about you guys? Yeah, I think we've been in both in both and it's obviously easier, uh, you know, to look back based on on the results. But, you know, this year we had a scenario where um, we we were tied. Uh, I think we only had one that that unfolded uh, like we're talking about where we were tied. Um, They they hit a free throw to tie it. And we, we come down about 18 seconds to go and you know, we're kind of looking at each other and, and, uh, my, my boss, Tony Jasek, uh, let, let, let the guys play and, and basically just called for, you know, what would be a, a slip ball screen at the top of the key, you know, the common action, just running through just to kind of create some type of confusion with the, with the two defenders involved in the action. And, and we were able to gain an advantage and actually got fouled, uh, as, as our, uh, as our point guard was going into a pull up kind of at the elbow there. And, and he went to the free throw line and, and, and knocked down a couple free throws. And then we, we contested on the other end with three seconds to go. So I think it's, like you said, it's, it's, it's year to year. It's, you know, player to player, you know, group to group. And, and you just kind of got to trust your gut and, and, and ultimately that'll win out in the end. What'd you think of the hotel scene? Um, you know, I thought that was a pretty, uh, powerful, iconic. I don't, you know, know what words to describe it where they got off the bus to the hotel and it's just lined with bulls fans. What also surprised me was the inside of the hotel lined with bulls fans. Um, you know, I would have thought security would have been able to keep them out of the, at least the lobby area. And, uh, and then MJ really having a piano, they, they show it and shoot around talking about the piano. He actually did have a piano up there. And, uh, uh I thought he was being funny and he really did. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that begs the question, did, did he have a couple beers to ease the tension? <laughs> he said he, the subtitles, you know, I had two beers this morning. I played the piano. You know, they probably took a late shoot around. But but, you know, just man, traveling with those guys. I mean, it was Beatles esque. Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't think when he said it that he had a piano either. But obviously, uh, you know, each, each player players treat a little bit differently on the road. Um I thought it was odd how many cameras were kind of in there. You know, I, I don't think it was odd that, Hey, maybe the one behind the scenes camera is in there to film some of the footage. But as you see him playing the piano from the other angle, there there's five different cameras with flashes going off. And you know, I, I didn't see a ton of teammates in there, but j- just an awesome scene, you know, a little bit of relief. You could kind of sense that, you know, yeah, they maybe wanted to go back at it again, but, you know, he, he kind of knew it was over. You get a Leonardo DiCaprio sighting. Yeah. Uh, what was that? You know, <laughs> sneaking in there and then a, uh, another Carmen Electra with the trophy, uh, you know, right there in the mix uh, as, as well. Um, and then the Grand Park um, celebrations, you know, it was funny hearing the Steve Kerr story from the previous one. Uh, yeah, but, that was, that was, I remember that. That was awesome. But, uh, you know, watching it again, you know, you do, you do kind of see MJ basically sign off, you know, when he says, Hey, his heart's, you know, in Chicago and it will always be, you know, in Chicago. And then it leads into that next part. And I thought that was interesting. I saw earlier today, the tweet with, uh, his face reacting to something. And, uh, the director, Jason Muir, you know, wanted you to guess who it was. And everybody thought it was Reggie and instead it was Reinsdorf. And the, the reality is that Reinsdorf was convinced, uh, there was no way for them to, you know, come back and do it again. And, um, I thought it was, I'm curious what you thought, but like to hear MJ come out and say, yeah, I wanted to go for seven. Um, because at that moment, and if you remember during his, his retirement, it was all about him, you know, going out on top, uh, you know, you know, a la John Elway, a la, you know, going out yeah. on a championship and to hear it, like you could see it really, you know, still burns that, you know, he wanted that shot at number seven. It wouldn't have mattered if they lost number seven, but he wanted that shot at it. Yeah, you just, you know, you just wonder if, if some of that is, 
kind of the fact that he's being asked now and it's it's part of this series uh i do not remember him being pushing the envelope at all like like you're saying uh you know he's sitting there in grant park and he basically is uh come to you know come to terms with the fact that this is it as as they had really that whole season mm-hmm. you know a- anytime they were asked you know this is the last dance this is the last dance we got to give it all we got this is the last dance so i think it's 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 a little odd that tonight he says you know they they would have gone for seven I, I think reinsdorf's point is probably a good one um you know it's an older team it's a team full of role players now scotty would go on to have you know he he had he had a few good years left you know both with the the rockets and the trailblazers you know not not necessarily the years that he had had you know where he's you know arguably a a top 5 player in the league uh, per se but but still played a great role on on teams that you know that that blazers team should have beat the lakers uh with kobe and shaq uh so, so uh, you know michael saying that tonight you know, who knows what was really going on behind the scenes. But to me, it had seemed like, hey, this is it. And we know it's it. I felt like Phil Jackson had the best pulse of the situation. You know, it says Reinsdorf called him to give him another year. And I think he looked at he made the comment that, you know, ba- basically he didn't want to deal with Krause. He, he knew yeah. that regardless, it was going to be miserable. And I also think that, you know, he saw how difficult that last stretch was, you know, for yeah. the Bulls to, to pull it out. And, uh, you know, again, the, the expectations, you know, you don't think about, um, you know, a guy like, you know, Phil Jackson at that point, even though he had six rings, um, you know, he got a lot of the, well, you're, you're Michael Jordan's coach. How easy is it to win? And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if he loses, you know, if they lose a championship, you know, it's probably not Michael, the fall guy. It's, you know, who are these other guys, Phil Jackson. Right. So, right. um, you know, now obviously he has five rings with the Lakers and, you know, it's a different perspective where at that moment, probably the weight of expectations, the weight of Jerry Krause, you know, pushes him into that, like, Hey, you know, if you're going to do this again, it's not going to be with, uh, you know, would be with me. What, um, I, I loved, I didn't, I never heard the story and, and I thought the footage was awesome the way he did it, but the, uh, coffee can and the lighting of the, um, um you know, whatever they brought to the table and Jordan reading a poem. Um, again, I just think that Phil Jackson subtly in this, um, was just impressive every time he was on screen. Yeah. And, you know, you assume that that's probably either a some point right before the, the celebration, not necessarily hours, but but maybe the, the days in between that the parade and, and them beating Utah or just after the parade. And it's just crazy to think about. And, that, you know, that was kind of part of it as you're you know, watching this series unfold and, and, and come to a close, but also knowing that that team was done at that point had to be pretty emotional because that's, that's probably the last time that that group was all together in the same room. And, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about vulnerability and, and, you know, Phil Jackson was able to get e- even the the best to be I- as vulnerable as the next guy. And, and that that started with Michael Jordan, you know, who, whoever thought you'd hear about him reading a poem. Uh, but but Phil pushed the right buttons and, and that was kind of close to, to all of it. Well, we talked about the the end and I, I love the way, you know, the very ending, the shot, uh, you know, finishing up with Jordan in the back and forth. I thought it was, you know, incredible. Uh, I had yeah. goosebumps. Um, yeah. You know, as we look back over the series, um, what were your, you know, what were your favorite moments? Maybe or what was your favorite moment? I think the, the, the favorite moment was probably uh, last week's stuff about him. You know, I think it was the end of, of what would have been episode seven where, you know, he's basically explaining uh, to, to, to all of us, you know, what his process was and why he demanded so much and, and how leadership has a price and winning has a price and kind of Michael Jordan as a teammate and as a motivator and as the drive uh, that, that, that he's constantly uh, chasing after uh, greatness. But then, 
you know, kind of going along those same lines. Uh, I enjoyed the slights kind of the, the, that we've talked about a little bit in every episode, you know, the, the little things that he used to keep himself motivated. Cause I think if there's anything that we can all take away is repeating is hard, you know, defending the championship is hard to do it three times in a row or six times in eight years is it's just unheard of. And very few teams ha- have the chance to do that and you can just kind of see here we're talking about the best player in the world going through his process of how he pushed uh, his teammates and then the little things that he did uh, to keep himself motivated. W- w- what about you? I- I'd imagine it's similar. The slights for sure um, you know uh, were, were impressive just because again it didn't it, he had to look in all kinds of places George Carl yeah. doesn't talk to him at a restaurant BJ Armstrong celebrates too much he right. makes it up about LeBradford Smith Carl Malone's right. the MVP Byron you know Byron Russell can't keep his mouth shut uh, you right. know, when he meets him and you know it's just intriguing to hear each and every one of those the, my favorite moments by far are when the director plays on the iPad something and we got Jordan's yes. reaction. The yes. Isaiah Thomas, um, you know, his general feelings for Isaiah Thomas, um, yeah. the, the reaction Gary to Gary Payton, Payton yeah. and then the reaction to Reinsdorf there at the end uh, were, were genuine. Uh, not that anything felt staged, but you know, you felt that that was how he feels, how he felt. And, uh, and I thought that was great. The Rodman stuff, um, you know, probably the two points where he went to Vegas and partied and then, uh, the WWE thing, I just think was, yeah. And, you, and, and Jordan going Rodzilla, Rodzilla. Yeah, that was awesome. The end, yeah. Rodzilla. At the end of shoot around. Only, only MJ would have the equity to be able to do that. And, right. uh, <laughs> Um, but you know, can you imagine today um, if it was if that had happened? And, and Andrea Kramer brought up a great point about them being the level of fame that they um, had created on a global level without social media. You know, without these right. guys. You know, MJ wasn't out there. You know. Uh, live tweeting or Instagram living his uh, every move, you know, for his fans. And, uh, you know, yet he had a global, you know, global reach. And I think that's one of the things I took away too, is just his, you know, he paved the way for so many, um, you know, of the, the guys in the game today and the, the popularity, um, you know, again, you know, you got, kind of Kobe and then LeBron and LeBron obviously wore 23 because of MJ. Um, what were your thoughts on the documentary as a whole and the way it was shot and the storytelling? I thought it was great. And, and, and you know, you bring up a good point. I, I do think, you know, I didn't really think of it until you said it, but, but I've thought it, you know, kind of throughout the series, I've really liked the, the moments of just, you know, Michael Jordan sitting there, not just the reactions to the iPad, but just, getting the unfiltered version of, you know, his career basically. And he's been pretty vulnerable. He hasn't really held back. You know, he's been moved to, to near tears. Uh, You know, he's had the belly laughs, you know, over certain things, which, which has just been great. And, you know, I, I think the one thing that was fine for me, but I would think it would be tough for, you know, maybe somebody a little bit younger or, or not somebody as as attached to the situation when it was going on is kind of the back and forth that that, that happened. You know, obviously tonight it was kind of interesting because they're going back and forth between basically just those last two years. So it, it could it could maybe even get more confusing tonight. Uh, you know, because they're also playing the jazz in both final series, you know, if, if you had to pick a knock. But for me, it was no problem. I just think that, that there there are probably people out there and viewers out there that that it probably drove a little bit crazy. I've, I've seen that criticism. And, and what I would say to that is I, I thought it, what it did is it, it left you wanting more. It's almost like, um, you know, if we were watching a half hour show and at the very end, something happens that leads you into next week. And right. uh, because these documentaries were back to back, you know, right there in that Pacer series, you know, it's two, two and, and Reggie shoved off and hits the big three. And now we're going back to Chicago 
well, no, we're not. We're going, you know, back to 97 and some of these back and right. forth. And I thought right. the parallels were, you know, really good in a lot of these instances too, that would bring up, yeah. you know, certain uh, aspects of it. Um, again, you know, the other thing I would say too, is it was told from Jordan's perspective clearly, but what I would say to it is for a guy that was the face of the NBA that had his own brand that, you know, was, you know, sponsored by Coke and McDonald's. I never felt like he was a guy that was seeking fame. I mean, the fame came with his production and he was obviously so great. And, and, you know, he was such a marketable guy, but you know, there are a lot of other guys like, you know, sometimes when I hear magic speak, you know, I, I don't, I don't always think it's the most genuine. I mean, it's always gregarious. Yeah. It's always funny, but like, I think it's for the camera. I think it's for show. I don't always think it's necessarily, um, for, you know, maybe what he truly feels. And I felt in this documentary, even if that's what Jordan truly believes in a lot of his answers, I don't think anything was being said other than just like, that's how he feels. Yeah, no, I think he's he's as natural of a, of an icon as as there's been, uh, and you know you think of even a guy like you know Tiger, you know who, who we both we both really really like, you know, and some of his stuff is just so like predetermined. Uh, but, but everything about, you know, Michael Jordan and the fame, he just kind of let it come to him. And, and that was shown, you know, in this series from, from start to finish, if, if we didn't think it already. You know, thinking back of, of, you know, childhood and watching him and what the series reminded me of is, and we talked a little bit about this, but the Bulls were must-see TV. I mean, absolutely yeah. must-see TV. And I, I, I've been trying to think of, you know, the Warriors at their apex started to get into close to that must-see TV. You just wanted to see them play because of their ball movement. You know, not necessarily right. – people love Steph Curry, don't get me wrong, but it was the ball, way the ball moved. And, and, you know, Tiger had that that factor. But I was trying to think, like, there was nobody in other sports that you just had that similar. There's nobody in baseball. I mean, you know, he was cheating at the time, but Bonds during his, you know, home runs. Uh, right. You know, there's not one guy in the other sports, you know, even in the NFL. Um, you know, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, I mean, great, but not the level of must-see TV of Michael Jordan and the Bulls. And then I just look back and I just remember – when you would get fired up for a game, like you ever had a, a game or a, a guy uh, that you got fired up for um, and you were excited, like, all right, this, I'll, I'll give you an example. Phil Mickelson was a guy from golf loved, you know, uh, before he won his first title, you'd always be pulling for Phil and inevitably he wouldn't come through. And uh, it was just such a deflating, you know, deflating thing. It always, whenever MJ, whenever you were hyped, when you were excited, he delivered all the time. And, and that's what I remember is that, you know, it's like he would deliver and exceed expectations, whether it was the flu game or the way he closed out his career. That's, that's what I'll always remember. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost too good to be true, you know, and, and, you know, you've kind of asked as a Bulls fan, this as a Bulls fan, that, and, and you just kind of, you just always thought it would work out because that's just what you grew up into. And, you know, it could extend even to even in as 98's coming to a close as a fan, it was probably like, Hey, you know, we think this is just going to work out. Like they're going to come back for a seventh one, <laughs> you know, just cause that's, that's the, the power that, that Michael Jordan had. He just, he, he, like you said, he always delivered. And I'm trying to think as, as, as we talk here, you know, in other sports, I mean, Tiger's the closest thing to, to it. And, and even then, you know, he, he, he had his hiccups. I mean, d didn't win from 08 till last year, a major, I'm talking, uh, the 2019 masters tiger has become that must see V must see TV again, because you don't know how much longer it's going to go on. You know, you, you don't know how long his back's going to hold up. I'm looking forward to ultimately watching these, uh, NBA playoffs because it's going to become the same thing with LeBron James. And, and you, you know, that. LeBron James wants to play now because he knows father time's going to kick in here before long, but to what can he go do it with the Lakers? Um, you know, th that's probably another example of, of, of some must see TV because 
you know, and, and the same thing with Michael there in 98, you just don't know how long it's going to continue. So you got to value it while, while it's happening. And, and you may see it a little bit with Tom Brady in the Bucks too. Before we wrap things up, I want to ask you this, you know, we've, we've, we see the debates all the time, but I'm curious, you and I have never talked about it. Um, first of all, uh, do you think MJ is the greatest player of all time? And if you do, uh, you know, what would you say to the generation uh, now that, you know, maybe thinks otherwise, maybe thinks it's, uh, you know, LeBron um, because of recency, you know, that's just all they know. Yeah, I I do think that he is, but but I'm not you know, so, you know, leaning that way as, as maybe some other Jordan enthusiasts. Uh, I, I just, I think you can't compare, you know, the, the, there's, there's been players before Michael um, and, and there'll be players after, uh, you know, you had Kobe who, who won five of them uh, and, and you have LeBron who, who's, you know, probably going to win one or two more if, 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 if it falls into play and, you know, you look at the stats, you look at the competition, you look at the rules. And I, I just, I think there's too many factors uh, to, to say, you know, Hey, hey th- this, this player is greater than the rest. So I'm not as one-sided as, as some other Jordan guys. Um, you know, I, I think that LeBron is right there. I think Kobe's right there. Obviously, you know, I wasn't really, you know, I can't really comment on the guys in the eras before just because, you, you know, I didn't see the Will Chamberlain's and Julius Irving's uh, and, and those guys. W- what is your take on the, on the whole debate? Uh, I think MJ's the greatest uh, and I don't think it's close. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, to, to even say that LeBron's second, you know, I always I think it's just it's it's to me, you know, Kobe has five. Uh, Magic has five. Um, you know, and Kobe played both ends of the floor, but here's why I think MJ is the greatest. And, and, you know, there's that MJ LeBron argument. First of yeah. all, he's six and zero in finals. Okay. Six and zero, never even made it to a game seven. Here's a fun stat for you. Uh, yeah. LeBron nine finals, MJ six, MJ 24 wins, LeBron 18. Okay. Mm. The other thing, interesting thing. I had not heard that one. No, here's another thing for you that's interesting is that uh, everybody likes to talk about LeBron's, you know, LeBron's stats. And, uh, you know, he's played in more finals games. uh, But the East when he was coming up was, was, you know, really poor. Uh, And, and, you know, you think about it, uh, Jordan went through the Pistons. uh, So when he was losing to the Celtics, they won the title. When he lost to the Pistons, they won the title both of those years. Um, You know, if those guys were in the West, maybe they meet in the NBA finals, uh, which I think is, again, uh, something. The other part is, too, you look at the scoring. Jordan was averaging 30 uh, to 35, and you look at those games, and the scores were in the 80s. I mean, 78. Yeah. And then Percentage that, of points. Yeah, yeah, because of the bottom line is, I mean, you know, you're able to either. hold yeah. and grab and fight. Now, you know, the way the officiating is, and um, I think I heard – either Charles or Shaq talk about this, but there's no big men at the rim now. I mean, there's no right. big men for him, you know, when he's driving uh, the lane. And, and I just think that the other part too, the, the one that I also think is huge to me is when MJ, you know, came up and I loved how the documentary did this. They had to get past the Pistons. They had to get past the Pistons. And um, at the end of the day, to me, that was, um, you know, that was the huge, huge thing. And, and he didn't go anywhere else. He didn't say, uh, you know, that he had to, uh, you know, go someplace else and pick up a few guys with him. Uh, he had to, you know, he did it, uh, you know, with the bulls, he went back, regrouped, came back stronger and, uh, you know, stayed with the bulls and fought through the tough times where, you know, obviously when things, instead of continuing to battle with the Celtics there in Cleveland, you know, he goes to Miami, takes a top five player and, uh, weighed a top 10 player in Bosch and, you know, everywhere he's been, he's kind of collected these, uh, hall of fame pieces where I thought Jordan had to battle through, you know, those tough times. Yeah, no, those are some good points. And and I think, you know, it's, it's hard to say. And, and you, you got the old school guys, you know, you, I mean, the stuff that comes out of Shaq's mouth and, and, and uh, Barkley's mouth, I mean, they, they can be, 
they can be ruthless to the to the current state of the game, which I don't I don't know if that you know bodes well for for their uh, their TNT deals. But uh, you know, I guess we'll keep watching. But yeah, th- th- those I did not realize some of those stats. I I did not. I've never held it against LeBron that he left and went to Miami and kind of teamed up. And, and maybe that's because Michael had Scotty the whole time who was, you know, arguably just as valuable. I mean, more valuable than, than either Dwayne Wade or, or Chris Bosch or both of them combined. Um, but he did, but, you know, but when he went to Miami though, you got to forget, remember, I mean, Wade already had a championship. He was joining a guy yes. that had, right, that's won, true. That yep. had won that had been there and that had done it. And, you know, I, I, I know what you're saying about Pippen, but don't forget like Jordan helped groom, you know, Pippen and the combination. I mean, you know, when, when Jordan went out that year, it wasn't like he averaged 30, he averaged 22. You know what I mean? Right. And still, I mean, he was obviously he was third in the MVP voting. No doubt. And, and, and you, you also factor in the fact that the, the Chicago Bulls had, you know, they had their, their pieces in the first three peat and then they had different pieces in the, in the second three peat and, and never, you know, other than, you know, Rodman, you know, th- there was nobody else that was really all-star type caliber. I don't think, you well, know, Horace Grant probably early, uh, during, you know, before he went to Orlando, I guess, you know, Horace Grant, Dennis Rodman would be the other two. And Rodman was kind of on the backside. I mean, you, you remember he was with the Spurs. He got ran out of Detroit, goes to the Spurs, you know, the, doesn't work out with the Spurs, you know, then yeah. comes to the ball. Yeah, they released so, him. Yeah. Yeah. So like yeah. when you're talking about like, who are, who are the other all-stars that MJ was playing with? I mean, you know, I mean, coach was obviously good, but you know, sixth man came off the bench quite a bit. Um, so anyways, it'll be something and people say you can't debate errors. I, I'd agree in some cases. I mean, it's going to be really hard to debate, you know, Bill Russell's era uh, to, to today. And I do think there's better, you know, better basketball, better talent, you know, on the floor. But I think the rules factor, I think that rules part of things uh, not being able to hand check now. Um you know, people laugh and, and make fun of Jalen and then uh, uh, Jalen Rose and Will Bond saying he'd average 40. But I mean, it'd be hard not to see uh, how he would, you know, how he would do that. It'd be great to watch it. You know, if if it wasn't, uh, um, you know, just the, the black and blue division uh, style basketball, you know, ground and pound. Uh, th- those scores are just, you know, you, you hinted on it. Those scores are just they're crazy, you know, how low they were compared to the way the games played today. I mean, the, the Warriors could pop off for for 30 and, and half a quarter, uh, you know, when when they get going. But I think I do think LeBron has handled it well. You know, he's clearly a Jordan supporter, Jordan fan. I, I thought Kobe did, uh, you know, also and you know, what, what more can you say? You know, you mentioned Bill Russell and, you know, I think, I think Jordan has paid great respects to the previous eras mm-hmm. and, you know, hopefully LeBron will just continue to do that. And, and we can just appreciate, uh, you know, what each one's doing for the game. You know, it, it's kind of gone Jordan to co at least in our era, Jordan to Kobe and LeBron. And then, you know, hopefully, you know, some of these guys will continue to carry the torch for the game. Yeah, I think I'm biased with Jordan, uh, you know, in regards to, Jordan never talks about that. He believes he's the best, you know, right. And he's always kind of let everybody uh, do the talking. One thing you did make a mention of that was interesting was the uh, late game situations Um, and the, uh, you know, a four point game. And back then uh, was like a, you know, a six to eight to 10 point lead, you know, a four four point lead with a minute to 30 to go in a game now is nothing. I mean, guys come back from it all the time. So, well, it's been uh, uh, the last five weeks have been awesome. Every Sunday, I'm, I mean, I can't not wait to sit down at nine o'clock and uh, relive, you know, MJ and the Bulls. And it's been a lot of fun. Bittersweet that it's ending, but uh, been a lot of fun to get on here with you and, and chat about it and reminisce and, uh, you know, break things down. So appreciate uh, you being part of this. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it, Coach. And, you know, it, it really has flown by. And I, I think we, we need to continue to get through all this because, you know, you think about it. But before this, you know, right when the coronavirus stuff started to hit, there was tweets about, hey, can you rush this series out? 
and 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 then they announced that they are going to do that and then it was still like three or four weeks away if i remember right or that, that's what it felt like and then now now we're at the end of it so um you know ho- hopefully it's you know we're coming to a close with with the virus and whatnot but it, it's been it's been awesome uh you know f- for us jordan fans and to be able to talk about it and, and kind of put put it on a platform uh it, it's given us more of a reason to, to focus in and and kind of learn from the series as well you know the, the you've hit it on the phil jackson stuff uh you know what can we take on our careers we're talking about situations and i think that's kind of been the best part is we're able to kind of learn as we go and and rewatch this well i think too it also shows the i mean the past you know, for your generation, just like we were having the debate there about, you know, who's better, Jordan, LeBron and all that stuff. I mean, for us, right, we witnessed it. That's what we watched. Now this generation watches, you know, their version of Jordan and LeBron, who's obviously phenomenal. But I think it goes to the larger scale of how powerful sports, you know, is. And, you know, you mentioned the timing of this documentary was, uh, you know, something that I thought the the sports fan, you know, needed and uh, definitely was was well-timed and, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully sooner uh, than later, we're, we're able, able to get back to sports and, uh, you know, what it does, you know, for our country from as far as lifting its you know spirits. And so it's been a joy, my friend, uh, to have you on and uh, we'll have to get back and maybe, uh, maybe do some more podcast uh, when, when we get some sports back. For sure. Thanks again, coach. I've, I've really enjoyed it. All right.